This is a jingle. This is our jingle. <laughs> Welcome to the Culture Edit, your weekly roundup of all things work and culture. Hosted by Nikki and Chad Strickland, co-founders of Niche Culture, a strategic consultancy and creative agency helping some of the world's top brands define, articulate, and promote their culture to their employees and the world. Welcome to episode 10. This is a big one because we know that, what was it, 80% of podcasts don't make it past the 10th episode. So here we are. It's pretty exciting. You guaranteed we would. And, and not only are we at episode 10, but we, to celebrate this, you know, grand achievement, we're... <laughs> <laughs> we're recording from Moab, Utah. Yeah. Which is pretty exciting. We're in a tent. We are. We're in a well, it, it's it's a tent. It's nicer than most hotel rooms. There's yeah. it, there's a full shower, bathroom, kitchen, yeah. all the things, air conditioning, glamping. Uh so it is the ultimate glamping at Ulum Resorts, which they're the same people that um own Under Canvas. If you've ever been to an Under Canvas, it's their more elevated uh high-end brand that they just created. It's their luxury brand. Yep. Uh, so yeah, it's been it's been cool. It's been a really cool experience, and it's fun because we're sitting here recording this podcast, and we're looking out at Looking Glass Rock, which we didn't know, but is apparently a really famous rock formation with a hole in it. Uh, and we climbed up to the Looking Glass hole. It was terrifying. Yep. Well, the climb up there wasn't terrifying. It was the climb down. It's always the climb down. <laughs> it was. I was really. I don't know. I've been having issues with um, heights on this trip, which is weird because normally I don't have any issues with being scared of heights. But I think trying to descend on gravel bikes into the white rim, which apparently is people just don't do that unless you're on like a mountain bike or a four wheeler, was so terrifying that it just it got in my my mind that I was really scared. Yeah, if you're curious, definitely look this up. Uh, the White Rim Trail, White Rim Road. Yeah, white uh, in Canyonlands National Park. Uh, there's a descent, switchback descent at the beginning, and uh, I don't know. It feels like you're a mile up. I think it was like seven thousand feet, eight thousand feet, and you can just see over the edge, and it looks like you could easily just slide off. You could, you could <laughs> easily just. Slide. There's no. It's not like there's anything keeping you from if you crash your bike sliding off the side of the mountain. So we got a mile and a half into the descent, and you just said no. Well, as soon as we got to the, you know, 12 to 15% grade switchback part on gravel with sand and loose rocks, it was, and it wasn't nice. I mean, it was like super rocky washboards. It just, yeah, it wasn't, it didn't feel, not that riding your bike ever feels safe, but it pushed past the limits of what I'm willing to do. Yeah, and apparently now... I've heard from lots of folks that have come out here. Uh, they think we were crazy for even trying to do that. Yeah. Made me feel a little bit better. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but it still was a great day because then we just rode through Canyonlands. Yeah. On I the mean, road. if you're if you're on your bike or car, just even riding on the paved parts to all the different lookout points is spectacular. So then yesterday we decided we were going to try and ride through Arches National Park, which is pro probably the most famous national park out here. Yeah. Really beautiful. But, you know, we don't have any friends that live in Moab, which is honestly kind of unusual because typically when we travel places, we do have friends that live there or someone that we know that can recommend a, a cycling route. So we're going in, you know, on Strava, on Ride with GPS, trying to find some routes that locals use. So Chad found a couple. Um, I found a few. And I found one that seemed good because it was like 35 miles and then you could add on more. And it went through kind of the middle of arches on a gravel path, or what we thought was a gravel path. And the guy in the description's like, gravel, like amazing gravel route, like do this all the time. 
Well, it's a gravel route to Arches, but it cuts through Utah Raptor State Park. Yeah. Uh, and so it's all, there's no road. Yeah. Well, it's a gravel, it's a sand road. <laughs> it's a beach. <laughs> it's a beach. And then it turned to rocks and more it, beach. It was like if you took Stone Mountain, for those of you that from they're from Georgia, if you took Stone Mountain and then like covered it in beach sand at certain parts, so you're like trying to ride over slippery rock with beach sand and the problem is the sand was deceptive it didn't look like it was deep and then all of a sudden you were just riding into a sand pit and it was like six to twelve inches deep and we all know that we can't ride through that no we had to walk between five to ten miles of the 30 miles that we did it, it was a lot i mean i would say we spent at least an hour walking yeah you you declared it worst ride ever it it was pretty terrible. I mean, I'm trying to think if there's ever been a more miserable ride. Because it was 115 degrees. Also. Yeah. It, that, and there's no shade. If it hadn't been so hot, I don't think it would have been as bad. But it was just, there was no shade. We were hiding under a tree, like a tiny little tree at one point because it was just so hot. It felt like, it felt like death. You were wearing all black. Well, yeah, I didn't, I just. It you was had to th- look good. It's a thin jersey and I, you, you have to prioritize looks over everything. So. <laughs> yeah, but we were hiding, uh, looking for shade, hiding under trees. Conserving water. Uh, conserving water, hiding under signs. Yeah. Like the arches sign. And then we saw giant mountain lion footprints that were fresh because it had rained the day before and like through the night. So we knew that they had to at least have been there early morning or during the day. Yes. Yeah, so I, I turned around. I'd gone ahead. I turned around and you were literally running. <laughs> you were running <laughs> with your bike over your shoulder like it was like crosses coming yeah uh and i'm like why are you running and you said there's i think there's a mountain lion tracking us because the the (laughs) the paw prints were right on the side of the road and i had seen a couple other paw prints but i hadn't looked that closely and i was like this is the perfect scenario like if if i'm putting myself into the paws of a mountain lion and they and i see i see me i'm the weakling straggling behind you've already left me i'm thinking this is a tasty weak morsel (laughs) You were convinced. You were yeah, 100% was, convinced there was a mountain lion tracking us. Yes. Yeah. Which we don't know that there wasn't because those paw tracks were, they were fresh. Well, but then you you made me paranoid. So then I started looking over my shoulder the whole time and almost crashing and looking for the mountain lion stalking us. Well, and I, yeah. but, but think about a mountain lion. It's like, first of all, they're 170 pounds is what I read. Yeah. And I think to all these little, you know, house cats... And anyone that's had a house cat, like, you know, they're, they're kind of assholes. Like they sneak up on you. They'll like hit you with their paw. You know, they're not, they're not like, Hey, I'm here like a dog. You know, they, they always, they're always sneaking around. So I'm just thinking like, imagine this 170, 180 pound cat sneaking up on me and, and we're riding through all this brush, like kind of low level brush, desert brush, yeah. desert brush, something, there's a cat, there's a giant cat hiding. And as soon as I ride by, it's just going to straight up, like take me off my bike. And for those of you that don't follow this, there are lots of documented cases of mountain lions killing mountain bikers uh, and attacking them. Like it's happened most recently in California. Like you literally just attack them right in front of their like, friend. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think because I think that they don't even realize you're a human if you're no. on a bike. And so I think if you were walking, you might be less likely to get attacked. But we look like an animal. And then me, I look like a weak animal. Yeah. Like a sad, hot, weak, slow animal. I don't know about a weak animal, but yeah. I feel that way. Yeah, but we survived. We we made it arches. Um, did probably it was a terrible climb there, but th- the descent from arches uh, national park was amazing. Yeah, it was uh, really it's, pretty. It's like you're on a different planet, completely different planet. Well, and you know we 
kept getting buzzed by all these people in their RVs. And we had we had to have looked so crazy. I mean, it was like a, in the hundreds. They wouldn't yeah. even get out of their car to take a picture. Oh, yeah. They, <laughs> yeah, these Torons are like, it's too hot to hike to the lookout point, which is like 100 feet from their vehicle. And we're just on our bikes dying a thousand deaths. I mean, I almost pulled over and asked someone for water because I was I had like a heat rash all over my body. So I was pretty sure I was dying. Yeah. Even though I, I probably wasn't, but I'm a little bit of a hypochondriac. And that wasn't the only uh, near uh, miss with the animal kingdom. I almost stepped on a rattlesnake too. Yeah. For those of you that followed me on Instagram, you saw, you probably saw my story of, so we're walking on this path. It's nighttime, pitch black, Chad has a flashlight and all of a sudden I hear a rattlesnake and being from central Florida and we had like a rattlesnake problem when I was growing up in our backyard. So I knew what this sounded like. And we had a rattlesnake problem. Well, like we had horses and stuff. So there, I, I don't know why we had a rattle. It doesn't matter. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> but my dad will be like, we did. He'll remember. And so I hear the rattlesnake and it was loud, like really loud. It was dark, by the way. This is on the hike back from Looking Glass when we climbed Looking Glass and we were hiking basically through the desert back to a loom. Yeah. So like I had already up to this point had a mini melt meltdown when we were descending the, into the white rim where I thought I was going to die. Then we decided to go climb Looking Glass Rock where all the professional rock climbers go uh, at night, so it was dark. So then I have a mini meltdown trying to get down from this rock. Like I'm thinking, I'm never seeing Hutch and Emmy again. I'm dying. This is where I die. And Chad is like using his hands to like prop, like so I can stand on his hands to get down because I didn't have good hiking <laughs> shoes. Glad I'm glad you acknowledge that that I went below you and literally let you stand on my hands. Yeah, um, I appreciate that. Yeah, um, yeah. So this is all the same day. So, so this is all the same day. So I'm mentally not stable. Like I'm I'm a thin glass waiting to be dropped. And then I hear the rattlesnake and you almost step on it. And I'm like, babe, there's a rattlesnake. And you start saying, oh, no, that's just crickets. I thought it was a grasshopper. A grasshopper. <laughs> I'm like, I have never heard a grasshopper make that noise. I don't yeah. know what. But like, you're kind of deaf. So the part of me was like, he can't hear. I am 50%. Yeah. yeah. And like growing up with like, my, my dad is very hard of hearing too, as you know. Yeah. Growing up with a parent who's pretty hard of hearing, now you're hard of hearing. It's like I'm surrounded by people that just don't understand what I'm talking about because I'm I hear I hear well. So I turned on the flashlight and, and uh, Mr. Around. Rattlesnake was uh, he was in striking position, in striking like, mode, right by my leg. Yeah, yeah. So you're welcome for saving your life. Yeah, life. thanks, because that would have been a bummer for the trip. Well, it was payback. You know, you let me stand on your hands, and I saved you from a rattlesnake. That's so. true. Yeah, it's it all good. We're just trying to make it home to the dogs. That's all. <laughs> We're just out here trying to survive our vacation. I love that. That's what you think about every time it's like a terrible situation. Well, I mean, it's like the only thing that I have close to kids. I think if I had kids, I wouldn't do anything because that would just really send me over the edge mentally. So yeah, the dogs are in my life. That's true. So Moab's been amazing, despite <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't despite sound like you know. I, I mean, uh, we're definitely coming back. It's oh, hundred percent. Blown us away. I we keep talking about it. it's like it's. I think it's better than the Grand Canyon. Yeah. I think there's more to do. Definitely more to do. It's easier to, I mean, we haven't, granted, we haven't camped or like necessarily hiked through the Grand Canyon, but we did a helicopter ride and we've driven through it. I think this is just easier to get to. And also there's not as many tourists. It's, it, I mean, there really weren't that many people in the parks. It was pretty awesome because you yeah. could walk up to all the lookout points really easily. You could do all the hiking trails really easily. Yeah, so we've ridden our bikes and we've hiked, but you can, like, people do ATVs and 4x4s and the whole river. I river mean, the Colorado rafting, River, river yeah. rafting, 1,000% coming back. Yeah, because uh, yeah, I feel like we didn't really get to experience 
what Moab has to offer. We were trying to kind of do our own thing on the bike. Yeah. So Moab's been amazing. Uh, yeah. We didn't even close out Park City. So we're going Park City, Moab, and now we're about to, as soon as we get done recording this, pack up our bags and drive to Steamboat. Park City, though, also amazing. we loved. Amazing. It's just grown so much in the time. Like, we haven't been there in about I don't know, eight years or something. And it's just, it's grown so much. But I think it's, I, I really, really liked it. I, I totally see why people live there. I mean, it's beautiful. 100%. Tons to do there as well. Tons of shopping, unfortunately, for Nikki. One of the best, one of my favorite boutiques I've ever been into. And I am not a big in-person shopping type of gal. I, I prefer to do online shopping, order a bunch of stuff, and then just like return the things I don't like. Mainly because I hate the sales associate process, like that pressure of buying stuff. Because I always buy something I don't want because I'm a people pleaser. So I'm like, oh, she said it was cute. Like, I guess I need to buy it now. And I, I don't like that pressure. So I went into this cake boutique is the one in Park City that I really liked. The sales associates were very chill. They did not. Like, shout out to Cake Boutique. Yeah, shout out to Cake Boutique. They were just like, I mean, they're helpful, but they're not like pushy, which is nice. But the stuff there was really cool. It's definitely like, it's kind of like that mid-tier higher end. I mean, I guess it depends on perspective, but like Isabel Morant, like she has more of like a rock and roll Western style, I would call it. I don't know. Hmm. How, she's French, so I'm not sure that's how she would describe herself, but. Um, we can ask her what we should have her on the pod. It, totally. But it was just, it was my style through and through, throughout the whole store. And I, I loved it. That was the highlight of Park City. It really was. <laughs> I got some rag and bone jeans that I've been living in. Uh, so. Uh, my highlight was uh, High West and the fact that we were there for three days and we went to high west five times yeah it's kind of kind of crazy i mean we are creatures of habit so that's on us but it's so good so we had dinner our last night there with our friend steven zapede yeah uh, who used to live in atlanta who now live in park city uh and uh we saw a special moment it at was high west. i've been showing people this video so much because it still blows my mind we're sitting at dinner just out on the patio in a giant moose like do they call a male moose a bull is that yeah it was a, it be bull. a bull yeah. um he was massive massive like easily a thousand pounds walks up the sidewalk past the restaurant like we're all just sitting having dinner and the moose is like 10 to 20 feet away from us just ca do, do, casually do, 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 do. strolling up the sidewalk yeah. um and i was thinking, on a like, monday night <laughs> on a monday night and there i mean there's a lot of people out and so people are running like filming and apparently you know there's supposedly really aggressive but this was not he wasn't being he wasn't yeah. acting aggressive in any he was way chill um and he just walked all the way up main, main street yeah just straight up main street no big deal all i can think is that i was like maybe someone leaves their dog food out and like the moose is just going to like someone's front porch you immediately start theorizing why the moose is just walking I was down like, the sidewalk. Is, is he sick does he need help right. like why would this well because why would a moose walk up a sidewalk in the middle of like the peak dinner time in park city it's so crazy and so we we have friends that go to Park City all the time and have never seen a moose. And that live there and never seen a moose. I'm two for two on Park City trips for moose sightings. Because last time- You had a moose standoff. I was climbing Guardsman's Pass and I, <laughs> at like seven o'clock in the morning and a moose was standing in the middle of the road uh, and we had a standoff. Yeah, but you got yeah. around, you skirted around him before he could kick you. I just, well, no, I, I just slowly rode by him and he just looked at me probably within 10 feet and- we just went on our own way. I, I kind of feel like maybe the moose, because there's so much activity in Park City and so many people now, maybe they're a little bit just more used to people. Like they're not as aggressive towards people because they know that they're not going to be harmed necessarily. I'm sure if you went really close, they would kick the crap out of you. But A nicer moose. Yeah. Nicer, friendly moose. A meese. A meese. A little meese. Yeah. Well, they're like the apex non-predator because they're not really a predator, but they're definitely at the apex where 
Nothing's messing with them. Yeah, and there's not a lot of things messing with a giant moose. Yeah. So maybe a mountain lion. So yeah, <laughs> maybe a mountain lion. Lots of animals on this trip. A lot of animals. Not necessarily the animals I want to cuddle or pet. Because everyone keeps saying like, oh, it's a milp, a, a moose I like to pet. But I'm not sure if I want to pet the moose or the mountain lion or the rattlesnake. Yeah. So. Anything else on Park City? Everyone had really cute dogs there. Yeah. That was the best. Honestly, one of the best parts is off-leash dilps. everywhere you go, it's off-leash dilps. Dogs I like to pet for those that don't know what dilp stands for. It's everywhere. Just so well behaved. So good. I mean, it makes the Atlanta dogs look like complete loony bin animals. Because you can't even, the dogs in, in Atlanta act like complete a-holes and they're just on leash trying to bite everyone, trying to bark at everything. These dogs in Park City, angels. Yeah, they were really nice. But everyone does have a, sm- a quote unquote smart dog though. Like you're not seeing yeah. a lot of like chihuahuas and stuff out there. You're really. No, no Pomeranians. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, mom. Um, <laughs> Chewy. Just, just smart mean, dogs. mean, Pomeranian. <laughs> smart dog. So shepherds and Australian shepherds, yeah. Australian cattle dog. Collies, a lot of collies. A lot of working dogs. Yeah, a lot of working dogs. Which makes sense out there. Uh, So good, though. Anything else on Park City? I don't think so. I mean, the- No no name saloon? Yeah, no name. Spent a lot of time there. Yeah, I mean, it was the only place where we could actually get a drink without having to order food. I mean, the the Utah liquor rules, I mean, obviously, we already knew that this was a thing, but like- Not to this extent. You get ID. They scan your ID at every single restaurant, bar. Like, our friends from Florida, like Florida Man, like Todd, Ned, and them, like, they would not be down with having their- license scanned and keeping track of every restaurant or sorry every bar you're going into yeah it's pretty well and i was throwing everyone off because i didn't have my driver's license with me i just had my um your global entry my global entry id which is you know it's a passport several times though they paused on whether or not they were going to take the federal id (laughs) well because they couldn't scan it so it was like throwing them off their routine yeah and i'm like oh god here we here we go but yeah it it was kind of strange i mean it didn't bother me that much but yeah a lot of weird rules another thing that was interesting to us that we didn't know is that all of the liquor stores and wine shops are government or state owned yeah uh so it's like state liquor store number five yeah and so going in to get wine in park city the wine selection in moab was exactly the same there was no difference yeah like they only let certain distributors in i guess or very limited like and, and very not, not great though. No, like, not great. Very limited. And then we notice the same thing here at Loom. They're carrying the same exact wine. Yeah. That's in the wine store or the liquor store. Yeah. Uh, obviously at a much elevated price. Annoy- uh, annoyingly elevated, I will say. <laughs> five, uh, five times the cost yeah. of the liquor store. But it was uh, that was news to us that we we didn't know that it was that tightly controlled and just so many different like little rules that for 2023 is kind of crazy. And if you think about uh, service hospitality industry, like a loom, uh, having to work around that. I'm sure that's a very frustrating. Although the pool thing, we haven't talked about the pool. Like we love a loom, but they don't allow you to have a drink by the pool. Yeah. Which is, I mean, it's weird. And I wonder, we still haven't quite figured out, is this like a, a state rule or a, we looked it up. It's not, well, no, but then we went to that other place, the bike place and they didn't allow alcohol by the pool either. Yeah. So I'm just wondering if maybe there's like, some other legal thing we're not aware of but either way it's it's a pretty big miss because when you pay a decent amount of money to stay at a place and you get done with your long bike ride or hike and you you just want to sit by the pool and have a nice rosé and you can't they're like nope sorry no fool no food no drinks nothing by the pool so for all of you before you um get mad at us and you come here uh thinking that you're coming to a five-star resort and you're going to hang out by the pool and have a drink we are not recommending it for that uh, because you can't do that here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, maybe our friends at Illum can give us a shout out and 
help us understand why. Yeah, because I mean, we asked some of the employees and they they didn't, they didn't understand they didn't. why either. Yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, I mean that I would say everything has been amazing. Uh, that was just like a weird, that's a pretty weird thing. Yeah. Very strange. So we're headed to Steamboat. Headed to Steamboat in, well, less than an hour. So we actually need to hurry. <laughs> we got a, a nice short five hour drive ahead of us, but it is going to be beautiful. Yeah, um, it'll be beautiful. It'll, it gives me time to edit this podcast because I got to get it done before we actually get to Steamboat. Yeah. Cause we, uh, I think we mentioned this before. We have a whole group of people from Atlanta that we've kind of helped organize to come out for the second year in a row, uh, and to do this bike race called Steamboat Gravel, which Vicky and I have done almost all of the big gravel races uh, other than Unbound. Uh, Steamboat is at the top, probably with Rebecca's Private Idaho. We're really looking forward to this weekend, uh, seeing our friends. We got a big Airbnb downtown. Right, right on Yampa, yeah, on, lot, the, on the river. Got a few folks staying with us. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. So we're going to... Salt and lime tonight for dinner. We have like a group of 10. That'll be really fun. Yeah. Uh, and then shakeout ride tomorrow morning. Yeah. Take it easy because Chad loves to just get lost. We might add a few miles. On. No, yeah. no, I'm not. Me and Alan will add a few miles. On. No, because even Alan was like, I'm not doing the long ride with Chad before the day, the day of the race. Is that Alan voice? Well, I actually started doing the Alan voice, but then I realized <laughs> no one knows what the Alan voice is. So then I kind of pulled it back. Okay. It um, well, maybe. Yeah, we'll see. But uh, shout out to race director Micah Rice. Can't wait to see him uh, and uh, all the help he's given us in, in getting our group there. Getting our unorganized group to Steamboat. Yeah, we'll report back. On the escapades, um, we're both doing the hundred mile option. I'm yeah. not doing the 140 this time. Yeah, I did the hundred last year, and it was so fun. Uh, and he's obviously hard no matter what, but it was just an enjoyable day. And I did it by myself, so I kind of just hopped around different groups. And which met. you say you prefer? Well, this is the thing. So if I'm by myself, which I end up finding groups to ride with, I find a group that is going at the pace that I know is sustainable. But when I ride with you or you know your friends, our friends who are going a lot harder than I want to go, it makes for a much more stressful day because then I'm like, if I'm not with people I know, if I don't feel like going hard up a climb, I just sit up and go at my own pace. If I'm with you all, you're like, we'll wait for you at the top. And like, that sucks. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's not fun. So you're just telling me now not to, to ride with you. Well, you can ride with me, but I don't want to go out guns blazing because you know I have my method of like pacing slower in the beginning and then going a lot harder at the end. Oh. Like, that's my... That's my thing. I have a hard time not going out guns blazing. Well, you can just go without me then. I make plenty of friends every time I ride by myself. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Come I roll in with like 20 new friends. Yeah. Uh, do we want to talk about John Trainer? the feedback from John Trainers? Stay, yeah, stay on the cycling uh, theme so far that we've been talking about. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so great feedback from our last episode with John Trainer, CTO of Wahoo. Of course, John has been very actively engaged in promoting and sharing yeah. Uh, the episode, uh, but also he's very actively engaged in wanting to know how he's doing versus other episodes. Yeah. So John, you're, you're doing great. Yeah. You're doing great. You're killing it. Yeah. That, that's a thing like sidebar. If, if you ever go on a podcast, like anyone listening out there, Oh boy. Please. No. I mean, just one thing, like, please share the podcast that you're on because the people recording and editing, like it's a lot of work and it takes hours and hours of your life. And for, us in particularly, we're very passionate about it. So we're not just like, I think people think we hired some like, you know, podcast like minion to like, to edit everything. No, it's it. Minion. 
like a little, you know, minion in the podcast closet trying to just like edit away at night. Okay. But it's not like we are doing this on weekends. We're I'm editing at like super late at night or super early in the morning because like we have real we have But real... you would never let anyone else edit. Well, so... I'm not no no, that wasn't my point. My okay. point is that people Your point is people should help share it if yeah, you're if coming you... on it. Yeah. yeah if you're I don't know why you wouldn't. It, it's a weird yeah. Yeah. But John was great. John was posting everywhere yeah, he, and he's... my point is he's like the he, he he's the epitome of someone that has gone above and beyond to share it. Yeah. Lot, lots of feedback around John uh you know talking about the culture and the journey at Wahoo. I think a lot of people were very um, enlightened and interested about that because I think there were a lot of, I don't know, I think a lot of people had made assumptions about what had happened with Wahoo in the last year and a half. Uh, And so to hear him talk through that and to talk through how much leadership truly cares about the organization and its people and making the right decisions. uh, I got a lot of people that reached out to me that were like, that was so awesome to hear that from him. Yeah, it gave a lot yeah. of clarity, I think. And the transparency, you know, because John is so genuine that I think people really appreciate that. Yeah. It was a great employer branding episode. It really was. <laughs> yeah, it's was, it was definitely a go work at Wahoo because they're a great company. What else is going on in the world? Let's see. Uh, switching gears. So I don't know if anyone's been following. This is a little bit of pop culture, but Bobby Altoff, uh, her drama around her podcast. So this, So I started following Bobby... I think in 2020 during the pandemic is when she mostly started creating her content and it was all like comedian, female, like mom. So it was, it's really funny. Like her content, you can't even see it anymore because she deleted all of it, which is weird. But her original content was pretty entertaining for, I think women, guys might not care so much. But then she somehow parlayed that into recently a podcast and her first, or like one of her first big interviews was with drake and so people have probably seen if you're on TikTok, came out, this came out of nowhere yeah it came out of nowhere like she's she's making jokes about like how she's named her kids concrete and richard and they're both girls and then all of a sudden and like that's like a you know side comedian thing and then all of a sudden she's interviewing drake in like a bed when they're drinking it was like so out of nowhere and so weird um and, and though in for those of you that haven't seen it, she has a really unique deadpan style interview style. Well, it's like super it's uncomfortable. Very uncomfortable, asking uncomfortable questions and not reacting. Uh, but we later found out that it's just an act. Yeah. Then she's gone on like the Today Show and said, "Well, no, that's an act." And which I think she should have just gone. She should have just done full like method actor for like the rest of her life. And and the reason we're even talking about this is because it's be- it's become such a huge pop culture phenomenon. And the debate is whether or not she is an industry plant. I was saying no at first, but now I think she is. An industry plant is someone that effectively has been created by the industry that they're in, the media that they're in. Yeah, to make money. Uh, So an example would be if Spotify saw her TikTok and said, oh, she's talented. Let's then have her, um, let's create a podcast around her. We'll align all of our guests to go on there and she can act this way and people will think that's really what she's like. But then I think the mistake was when she said that it was just an act. Well, and I so think, now there's been a ton of drama around it, right? Well, I think the mistake was thinking that a normal person can just all of a sudden be shot into the spotlight at this level and be able to handle it because she recently came on. So she, del- so somehow the Drake, everything about Drake got deleted. So that caused like a bunch of controversy around, what happened then people started rumors about saying she cheated on her husband with drake and so i'm just thinking like this poor girl has been shot from like a normal life with two kids i don't know where she lives maybe california and a husband 
and making, I mean, she says like they don't make a lot of money. Yeah. Um, into this extreme spotlight. And then the first thing that starts happening is she's cheating on her husband and they're getting divorced. I mean, that's a pretty, if you don't have a significant support system around you to be like, just ignore the the media, ignore the drama, ignore the people saying these terrible things about you, it would be really hard. But it's so crazy though to think like, I have a podcast out of nowhere. One of the first, third person I interview is Drake and now I've just deleted it. Yeah. Like within like weeks. It's a very weird thing. Yeah. Yeah. Check but, it. Check it out. Yeah, just Google it. It's kind of interesting. Um, your kids probably already know about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wouldn't that be funny? Like, imagine like uh, someone hearing this and and then checking out about Bobby Altoff and then like just dropping that knowledge on their kids without the the kids knowing it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You'd be the cool parent. Yeah. So then a couple more things. So NCL Denver and NCL the uh, NCL Denver just happened. Yeah, it was last weekend. Uh, it seems like it was a big success. Yeah. Uh, a lot of entertainment media came out of that and it looked really fun. Yeah. NCL's National Cycling League. If you go back to one of our previous episodes where we interview the CEO, Andrea Pagnanelli. Was it episode five, I think? Episode five. Yeah, episode yeah. five. Um, and then National Cycling League, their last race, their final race is in Atlanta this weekend. This coming Sunday, yeah. Um, we have a lot of friends going. People are really excited about it. Uh, thank you. Shout out to Kelly and Erica who have been trying to get all of our friends who forgot to sign up by the deadline onto the list. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Even though we sent multiple emails to multiple. our invite list uh, for the VIP experience, uh, they just uh, missed all the deadlines. So thanks for that. Uh, we got Scott DeMeyer, Jeff Jones, <laughs> Goose. You created more work for us on vac vacation. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> uh actually scott scott registered uh, oh yeah okay. yeah yeah michael michael <laughs> uh yeah so Although they're, all, I can't, they're all going goose did register for general mission he yeah, just yeah. forgot to register for vip because it was a little confusing yeah and shout out to goose quinton because he has been taking care of our dogs this whole time and emmy which is always a drama which is always drama. And like for those of you that don't know, Emmy had to have surgery on her ear literally right before he left. And then it seemed like maybe it was getting infected. So he had to take her to the emergency vet. It, it's just, I feel terrible. And I and part of me just wanted to fly home and take care of it. But we appreciate him so much because there's not a lot of people that will help you out like that in life. <laughs> he he loves to take our dogs to the vet. Yeah. He's, <laughs> I feel so bad. Yeah, <laughs> It's always something with them. Do we want to dive into some of the culture edit articles? Yeah. So the newsletter does not stop. Uh, and so this week um, in, in the newsletter, I think the biggest, one of the most interesting things to click on and take a, take a look at, by the way, if you don't know, we have a, a newsletter called the culture edit, which is really the origin of this podcast. Uh, if you don't subscribe to the newsletter, uh, go to our website, nicheculture.com and subscribe to the newsletter. It's a very popular newsletter. This week, there's an article from Harvard Business Review about building a culture where employees feel free to speak up. Uh, and effectively, what they're saying is when you have an organization where you get insights or feedback from employees that they don't feel comfortable speaking up at work, which we see often, mm -hmm. that you can't as a leadership team or as an organization just declare we have a culture of speaking up, so everyone should speak up. And there's three or four recommendations in, in this article uh, about how to actually approach that, which is something that we've actually dealt with quite a bit. Uh, the one thing I think we would add 
to their list is what you talked about last time, leader predictability. Yeah, I mean, I think if you want to- Emotional cre- predictability. Yeah, I mean, if, if you want to create a culture where when people come into meetings and they sit down with you and they're open with ideas and feedback, especially people that report to you, if your reaction to them speaking up is unpredictable, then they're not going to speak up. It's just, I mean, it's like that, think about if you have a parent, if you have a spouse that's unpredictable in the way they react to you when you're giving feedback or just giving an opinion, you start to do that less and less because you just don't want to deal with the unpredictability. Could be good, could be really bad. To me, that's the number one thing if you want people to speak up is you've got to be empathetic and predict or empathetic and emotionally predictable. Yeah, because people are scared when when leaders are unpredictable and that's why they don't speak up because they're scared to make a mistake and then the other big thing uh that's in the newsletter which is also part of conversations we've been having even while we've been on this trip uh with executives and leaders is continues to be around work from home or sorry return to the office not return to work john return to the office (laughs) uh and there's so much research and you'll see there's several articles in the newsletter this week around leaders that are proclaiming it's time for us to return to the office, but they themselves don't want to return to the office, uh, which obviously causes a cultural problem. But also one thing that we were talking with the CEO, the CEO that we were having dinner with is how, and he was joking about it. He was like, I thought if I went back, cause he goes to the office every day and it's not easy. almost every CEO we know goes to the office every single day. Correct. Which yeah. I think is great. I mean, I, I feel like, yeah. If you're Actually, the, every CEO we know. If you're the CEO the of a company, yeah. a large company, yeah. you're not going into the office every day. <laughs> There's something wrong. Um, but he was saying how his perception was he would go back to the office and that would kind of be inspiration for other leaders and everyone else to be there if he was there. Gravitational pull. And he realized really quickly that the gravitational pull was not as strong as he thought. And I think a lot of that is because people's mindsets have shifted when it comes to in-person communication versus online communication. I just don't think, I don't think people feel the need to create relationships in person as much as they used to. And I think that's a problem because I don't think it's a, a realistic way to live. But I think as a leader, you just have to take that into consideration, understand you have to do more to engage employees if you want them to come back. It's not just enough for your presence to inspire them to come back. Yeah, so it's what we talk about is it it can't be just a proclamation. It can't just be the CEO showing up. There's got to be a real strategic plan to inspire people to want to come back to work. And that looks different because we'll get asked um, immediately. How do we do that? How do you do that? It looks different based on a variety of things, including what industry you're in, what type of employees you have. Obviously, if you're a manufacturing organization, everyone's already at work, where you might not have people in the corporate office coming to work. That's a much different dynamic than uh, a technology company that you know has large swaths or cohorts of employees that have always worked from home. Uh, and so it depends on the industry. It depends on the culture. But it's really about sitting down and understanding what your employee workforce looks like, uh, devising really what I think you need to do is really think about your employee workforce as personas, uh, and then devising a strategic plan to inspire the people that you need in the office uh, and really selling the whiffle, right? The what's in it for me to them uh, to get them back there. Yeah, that's what I was going to say is it's really selling that why because if you – if your why is why well, I'm in the office, so everyone should be in the office, that's just not going to fly. I think a lot of organizations 
forget about how powerful their purpose and their vision are to people. Uh, I think sometimes they take some time to articulate what that means. Uh, they put it on the wall and then they don't utilize it in a way that's effective to really sell and inspire people to make that extra effort. And, and Wahoo's a great example. John talked about he knows that the most powerful thing that they can do is to collaborate in person uh, for the right type of job. And so thinking really strategically about that uh, and then how do you inspire those people through things like purpose and innovative communication um, leadership communication, quite frankly, is is probably one of the most important things you can do. Yeah, I mean, and I, I like the because I, I don't think you have to be in the office every single day. Organizations need to plan the in the office time in a very coordinated and organized way so that you're because the reason people don't want to go in is they if they feel like it's a waste of their time. If they're going to their desk and no one talks to them and they never see any leaders, they never hear from any leaders. So they're like, okay, I just sat at my desk all day by myself. I could have done that from home. I totally get that. So if you are going to bring people back to the office, I think putting a little strategy around having people in on the same day so that there can be collaboration. But then when people are there, having meetings in common spaces, encouraging people to get away from their desk, having after work events out in the courtyard or whatever it is, wherever you work, making a coordinated effort, effort to make that experience very valuable. That's what's going to People might never be like, oh, yay, I can't wait to wake up and go into the office. But they can say, this wasn't a complete waste of my time and I actually really enjoyed it. So you know what? Every Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I'm not going to I'm going to be productive with them there because that's what our company, you know, kind of planted the flag Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So Monday, Tuesday, Thursday. Yeah. Monday, Tuesday, whatever it is. Um, I just think it's important to make people feel like they're not wasting their time when they do come into the office. 100%. So it's, it's rethinking what the workday looks like yeah. when they're there. Well, in, in treating people how you want to be treated, if you're a leader, probably the reason you're coming to the office is to set an example, but also because you, you probably can't get as much work done at home. Um, you go into the office and you shut your door and you lock yourself in there because you have a lot of stuff you need quiet time for. And if someone was saying, you need to, CEO, you need to work from home in the middle of the kitchen with your kids running around, you would not find that productive and you wouldn't want to do it. So it's kind of like the, op you know, it's, it's, creating a space that's most productive for each employee and that looks different for different types of employees but always considering you know what would you want if you were in their shoes exactly the the last thing in the newsletter that I just want to mention that I know you always think these are ridiculous but we've got flying burgers uh, so just make sure you click on that um, it's a nice little I haven't clicked on it yet so uh, it's gonna be a surprise for me too yeah exactly <laughs> also Utah just changed its state flag uh, which is really interesting and so there's a whole uh, New York Times piece around that. It's very modern. About how multiple states are changing the design of their flag, and there's a lot of controversy around it. And it's not necessarily because people don't like the design. It's just become a political, yet another political divisive issue. Yeah. Uh, so um, I thought that was really interesting uh, to look at how these flags are all changing. The Utah one is funny because it's very, um, what's that guy, Draper? Yeah. Yeah, uh, it does. Look... What, I can't remember his first name, but he's like. Dra Draplin? Draplin. Sorry, yeah. not Draper. Yeah thinking of <laughs> completely different uh yeah draplin yeah he's kind of like the father of logos like modern day logo it looks very maybe he did it i don't i don't know like hipster style like kind of like hipster camp style yeah camp style yeah 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 it does look like that which is cool i just don't know like does that stand the test of time or does that get changed in like 10 years 20 years yeah i don't know it looks kind of cartoonish 
It just looks very today. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Looks like you put on a baseball hat and sell it to a bunch of hipsters today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, uh, I, th- I think this has been a really fun episode to record, just the two of us again. We might be doing another one, just the two of us, because um, we have some interviews lined up, but it's, as with everything, it's about timing and people's schedules. So, Well, we've gotten feedback that people like the Chad and Nikki one-on-one episodes, uh, and they also just like the Chad and Nikki one-on-one intro so i think this is a, a good test for us yeah so keep giving us feedback um and subscribe we'll... and, and share. share subscribe, subscribe and share and rate and rate us and rate us the, the... unless it's gonna be a bad rating then don't rate us <laughs> <laughs> no one's giving us a bad rating oh well <laughs> a lot now, of now there's so. gonna be like a troll out there like i'm giving them a one. <laughs> oh, I guess I, yeah, I forgot about those people uh yeah give us a rating on wherever you listen to your podcast yep. it's really helpful we're on everything uh and uh share subscribe and share that's the biggest thing we always forget to say that, and that's why we're, we're talking about this. I, I don't think we've ever had one episode where we actually remember to say that, so we would appreciate that. Well, on our 10th episode, yeah. subscribe and share. Yeah. All okay, right. we're off Over the steamboat. We're going to go in the car and start driving. Right. See, you, uh, see you in steamboat. Yes, that